0: Good morning, happy Mother's Day, let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your commandments that you have given us. Uh, I pray that you would please uh, give me clarity today that, uh, to share what you have uh, given me over this, uh, while preparing for this sermon, Lord, and I ask that, uh, that uh, you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to listen. In your name we pray, Amen. So last week, Seth gave us an excellent introduction to the Ten Commandments. He said that there are four reasons why the Lord gave the law. First, the law reveals God's holiness. God is set apart and deserves our worship. Second, the law defines your sin. We didn't know what sin was before the law told us what it was. Third, the law reveals God's certain judgment. We can't keep the law on our own no matter how hard we try. Fourth, the law points ahead to Jesus. Our salvation only comes through Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has ever been able to keep the law. And through his death, he has applied his perfect life to us so that we may be saved through him. Today I have the privilege to speak to you about the first commandment. Exodus 20 verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. We all know this one. If we were asked to name the Ten Commandments, I would say that almost all of us would be able to name this one, even if we couldn't name all ten. So what are other gods? They're anything you long for or desire above everything else. They're what you think about the most. They are where you go to seek comfort. Gods can be an object. They can be your house, your yard, your car, your phone. They can be something you're enslaved to, sports, alcohol, entertainment, food. They can be a person, your spouse, your children, yourself. They can be a goal, financial freedom or financial security, or a control of your own world. A God can truly be anything that our fallen minds and hearts seek after or worship too much. We all know what gods we struggle with, and if you don't, ask a family member or a close friend what you talk about the most. Ask them what they think you value above everything else. They will be able to tell you. We all struggle with our own gods, but the Holy Spirit is there to help you fight. This brings us to today's main point. If we live out the first commandment, then everything else falls into place. If we live out the first commandment, then everything else falls into place. We all know when we are living out the first commandment. We're focused on God. We're talking to him continually. He is on our mind and we go to him first when we need help or we seek comfort. We know that we will be there able to face whatever comes our way when God is on our side. When our mind is focused on God, we have good days even when they are bad days. When I was struggling with my heart issues a couple months ago, I learned that I wasn't trusting my health to the Lord. I was putting my hope in medicine to fix me. Because of this, I started battling with anxiety, which I had never experienced before. I realized that I could keel over and die at any time. I was dwelling on what would happen to my family and my children. Would I ever see my unborn son? Who would take care of them if I die? I realized that I wasn't in control of myself as much as I thought I was. I was completely turned in on myself, and there were some of the worst days of my life. Once I had help from Kara to realize what I was doing, everything changed. I reminded myself that God is sovereign and that he can take me from this earth anytime he wants. I reminded myself that God is in control and is taking care of my family right now way better than I could ever do myself. I reminded myself that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. My heart issues were used to grow my relationship with God and to put more trust in him. The next few days were good days, even though they were still hard because I was focusing on God and I was putting him first. So here's the first point. Ask yourself if you truly put God first. Ask yourself if you truly put God first. The reason that the Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me is because we can only have one God at a time. If something isn't first, then it isn't a God. As humans, we can only worship one thing at a time. Therefore, if God is first, then we are living rightly. So we must ask ourselves if we're putting God first. I know that all of us know the right order to say when someone says, so what's the most important thing in your life? Or what is the order of the most important things in your life? You say God's first, then family, and then work or sports or something else. But is that truly the order that we are living? If we ask people who are closest to us, would they put those in the same order when they talk about us? Here's an analogy. Imagine someone says that football is their favorite sport to watch on TV. No matter what other sport is on, they will always, always watch football. It doesn't matter what teams are playing, football is the best. Now, you're invited over to their house on Sunday and the TV is on and they happen to be watching golf. And you know that the Vikings game is on And so you say, remind them Did you know that the Vikings game is on? And they say, well yeah But I'd rather watch golf Now you distinctly remember them saying That they would watch football above anything else And now they're watching golf This person is obviously not living out what they said They're not doing what they say they do So how does this apply to us? So we say that we put God first in our life. Are we in the Word every day? Are we living this out? Do we attend small group? Do we go to a prayer meeting? Do we look for ways to serve the body of Christ? Do we do what we say? If you truly put God first, then you will be able to make time to serve Him. Learn about Him and worship Him. It won't feel like a chore. It will feel like a joy. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are these things? These things are food, drink, and clothing. The Gentiles were chasing after these things. But God knows that we need them, and so he will provide them to us if we put them first, him first, like he commands. Because then in Matthew 5.6 he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Instead of hungering and thirsting for food, we should be hungering and thirsting for God. If we put God first in our lives, we will hunger and thirst for Him. And we all know what a craving feels like, whether it be a food craving or an impulse buy. We know what it feels like. It feels like a hunger that encompasses us and doesn't want to let go. This is what it should feel like to seek after God. We should crave for God and feast on Him. Now the best part is that when we hunger for God, He is always there. We never have to wait to talk to Him, to hear from Him, or to be comforted by Him. He is an ideal God. He never falls short or leaves us empty inside. Other gods, and idols, can leave us feeling empty, even if we after we have feasted on them, we do not leave feeling satisfied. Not so with the Lord. Whenever you spend quality time with the Lord and are truly invested, you always leave satisfied. We must remember this on the days we don't want to spend our time with the Lord, because as one thing grows of more importance in our life, the other things that we had put first start to lose importance. The God that we had put first now becomes second, and whatever is second is not our God. These are the moments of our lives that we are not growing in our faith. We are stagnant and things are harder. Once we put God back on top in our life, we start growing again and nothing can shake us. So here's the second point. Use the Bible to learn from others' successes and failures. Use the Bible to learn from others' successes and failures. For this point, we're going to go through four different Bible stories. These stories show us people who are putting God first and those that aren't. It tells us what they do and what consequences or rewards the Lord gives them for their actions. You can turn to these if you'd like. Um, The first is 2 Kings 1, verses 2 through 17a. I'm only going to read verses 2 through 4 and 17, but I encourage you to read the rest on your own. um, And the study group questions uh, will will lead you there this week. So, verse 2 through 4 in 2 Kings one Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire with Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. In verse 17, so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. So Ahaziah is the king of Israel. He was only king for two years, but he always served Baal instead of the Lord. And this is strange. He chose to serve the God of another land other than the God of his land. The Lord is often introduced as the Lord, the God of Israel. And in verse 2, Ahaziah says, Inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. He has decided to go after another God of a different land than the God of Israel. Because he worshipped another God, it says in 1 Kings twenty-two fifty-three that he provoked God to anger. He placed his hope of getting better in the wrong place, just like I had done with my heart. Our God is a jealous God. So he is not going to let Ahaziah get better and committed him to death. Instead of our hope being placed in other gods or for us, things of this world, we need to place our hope in Jesus Christ. He is our savior and our healer and he died on the cross so that we may be rescued from the gods of this world. So Ahaziah never served the Lord and did not have a thought of him in his mind. He like, is like unbelievers today who are not Christians, and serve other gods, or mainly themselves. These people don't even acknowledge God because he isn't even on their radar. Showing these people who God is, is so important because they have no idea what they are even missing. No matter where they are at, or what they are doing, God is always a trade up. So that is the first story. The second story is in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 23 through 41. And I'll just again read parts of this story, starting in verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought the people from Babylon, Kathah, Avah, Hamath, and Severim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities, and at the beginning of their dwelling there they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told... The nations that you carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of this land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of this land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord." But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. Going into 33. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods, after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day they do according to their former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes or the rules or the laws of the commandment and the Lord, uh, that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, You shall not fear the other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them. But you shall fear the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandment that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods, and you shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear the Lord your God and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. However, they would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. In the beginning of this story, these people are just like Ahaziah. They do not know the Lord, and so the Lord sent lions to kill some of them. I really like how the advisors of the kings knew right away that this was strange. Lions don't just go among people and start killing them. Lions like to stay away from people and then pick off individual animals. So the advisors were thinking, what could cause this? Aha! We don't know the law of the God of this land. That's got to be it. So they put a priest to teach them the law of the Lord, and we have to assume that the lion attack stopped. Now this is sometimes how the Lord calls people to himself. He sends a lion. Not a real lion, usually, But immense hardship in their life, and they feel like they have nowhere else to turn. These are some of the people that we plan to help through our biblical counseling center. They're people that are at the end of their rope, and they're holding on for dear life. It has been a long time since they've spoken to the Lord or walked in a church, but they don't have any other options except turning to the one true God. As this story shows, it can't just stop with an introduction to the Lord. These people feared the Lord at first, but they didn't turn to Him completely. They still worshipped their own gods, and they did not have real heart change. So the Lord made a covenant with them: "You shall serve only Me, and be careful to follow the law of the commandments I have given you." And this is what the Lord promised them: "I will deliver you out of out of the hand of all your enemies." This is an amazing deal. All of your problems will be solved. Your enemies will never overtake you, and the Lord will take care of you. This is an incredible promise, but the people didn't listen. They like the way that they live, and they don't want to change. In my understanding, these people are an excellent example of the majority of Americans. 75 to 83% of Americans check the box to say that they are Christians based on a simple Google search. Three-fourths of Americans say that they are Christians. They would say that they believe in Jesus. However, for the vast majority, their life does not reflect it. The majority don't put Jesus first. And we know that if Jesus isn't first, he isn't their God. Their gods are things that make them happy, that give them comfort, and don't cause them to change from the way that they want to live. The third story comes from Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 14. And I am going to read this whole one because it's just awesome. Well, it's all awesome, of course. All right, verse, chapter 25, verses 1 through 14. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the son, king of Judah, this was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years... From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you from his evil ways and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you, and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the works of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Childeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the works of their hands." The people of Judah were exiled to Babylon for 70 years because the people went after other gods and worshipped them. The Lord is very serious about this. It's the first commandment, for goodness sakes. He had been warning these people with many prophets for years, and they didn't listen. The Lord then punished them. And this is one thing that we know of the Lord. He follows through with what he says he will do. He has kept every promise that he has ever said. The Lord already kept his biggest promise by sending Jesus to die for our sins. So we know he will keep the rest of his promises if he didn't leave back his own son to die for us. Jesus will come again. And those who say there is no hell are kidding themselves. The Bible is clear that at the judgment seat, the Lord will separate out those who know him and those who don't. Those who don't know him will be thrown into the lake of fire. And there are many, many today who are not listening, just like the people of Judah. Like Judah, they have heard the gospel. They have heard what Jesus has done for them. Not like Judah, but you know. But they don't want to listen. They don't want to change. Still, we are called to share Christ. Even if we have to share with the same, or share with the same people over and over again, we are not to stop. The Lord is the one who opens the ears to hear and hearts to listen. We need to do our part, like the prophets of old, and share the good news of Christ. Now on to the fourth story, which Greg read for us earlier. This story was about the Rechabites. The Rechabites are not from a tribe of Israel. They actually trace back to the father-in-law of Moses. They had dwelt with the Jews since the Exodus, but they themselves were not Jews. 300 years before Jeremiah had actually gone to see them, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, had told them that they should not drink wine, shall not build a house, shall not sow seed, shall not plant or have a vineyard, and that should, they shall live in tents and sojourn. So for three hundred years, the Rechabites had obeyed the command of their father, their earthly father. In contrast, the people of Judah had not listened to their heavenly father, even though he had spoken to them persistently through the prophets. Because the Rechabites had followed their earthly father's command... The Lord promises that they shall never lack a man to stand before the Lord. The key quality that the Lord is showing us here is obedience. The Rechabites knew what obedience was. We need to be like the Rechabites. The Rechabites went to all these extremes to stand apart from the world because of something that their earthly father had commanded them to do. How much more should we strive to live apart from this world because of what the Lord tells us to do? If we are truly putting God first in our lives, we will obey Him, and we will look different than the world. The last point. Apply yourself to learn who God is. Again, apply yourself to learn who God is. 1 Corinthians 8, 4-6 says, Therefore, as for the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one, For although there may be so called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many idols, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. First of all, God has given us everything. He has created us, He has given us our spiritual gifts. He has given us our possessions and every one we have in our life, as well as our abilities. Everything is from him and we exist for him. We exist to exalt him and to give him glory. We exist to work for him, evangelize his name, build up the body, shepherd and guard the sheep, help those who are seeking, and the list goes on and on. All of this because there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to learn who God is. And the reason is because there are many gods, gods, lowercase g, on the surface. And they look like our God and even use the same name as our God. But they're not our God. Think about the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3, it says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions be made for all people, for the king's and those. That is not the right passage yet. Okay, we're moving there. Second Peter, Woo, that was in Timothy. Woo. Second Peter 2, 1 through the, here we go. But false prophets who arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many who follow their sensualities, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We need to know who God is, so we don't get swept away by false teachers. It is so dangerous. They look good on the outside, and their words sound right and pure. But when you dig into what they truly believe, you will find out that they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They will lead you astray if you don't know your Bible learn who God is and isn't and when you hear something that sounds good but makes you a little uneasy look into it don't just accept it i have many students that just accept teacher what teachers say is true even though a lot of teaching or some of teaching is opinion i have other students that ask questions when there is something that i say that doesn't jive with what they think that they know and this is good Asking questions is how you learn. Just think of a child. What are they doing all the time? They're asking why. All the time. All the time. And they're doing it so they can make connections and learn. When I am reading the Bible, I only read a small passage at a time. I can't do these big chunks and chapters at a time. I have to do small passages. And I really dig into it. I always make sure and try to come up with a question about the passage Because a question really helps me wrap my mind around it. For example, with this passage for today, You Shall Have No Other Gods Before Me, I asked the question, why didn't God stop after the word gods? Why didn't he just say, you shall have no other gods? Why did he say before me? And that led me to the realization that if something isn't first in our lives, then it isn't our God. Ask questions of the Bible. It will lead you to understand more of the character of God. I read a tweet from John Piper a while back, and he said, The inner life of faith is not independent from the doctrinal statement of faith. When doctrine goes bad, so do hearts. I'm going to read that again. The inner life of faith is not independent from the doctrinal statement of faith. When doctrine goes bad, so do hearts. Nothing will make our doctrine go bad faster than not letting God talk to us through his word. It doesn't take much for our doctrine to go bad. There are many examples of people whose doctrine looks good and strong, but only a few years later they have gone off the deep end and are now universalists or Scientologists or have left the faith completely. When Dave approached me to shepherd me, I knew that I wanted to shore up my doctrine. So we started going through Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. I heard most of it before, but I wanted to solidify and really think about what I believe about God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, among many other areas of faith and theology. Surprisingly, it has brought me here to preach to you today, which is something that I never thought would happen. So the last passage today that I want to bring you to is 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is God. Our mediator to God is God. We can speak directly to him. They couldn't do that in the Old Testament, but we can because Jesus died for our sins and ripped the curtain in half So that we may speak to the Lord. And if you have not placed your trust in the one true God, I am calling you today to lay your burdens on him. Christ died to save our souls because we can't save ourselves. We need a mediator to bear our punishment that we deserve. And Jesus has done that once and for all. Now you may have heard it said, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. This sounds good and nice. We can use our actions to show Christ to others, and we don't have to awkwardly open our mouths. However, R.C. Sproul says, preach the gospel. If necessary, rebuke anyone who says, if necessary, use words. (laughs) Why? Because the Bible calls us to speak. And how could we not speak when Jesus has saved us from an eternity in hell? We can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Read your Bible daily. Get to know him so you may easily put in a good word for him to neighbors, hurting people who are suffering or in sin. We have learned that we are all counseling, so we need to counsel Christ. Isn't it great that we don't have to lie or talk up who God is? We can't make God sound better than he already is. If people don't believe you, tell them to seek him for themselves. They will not be disappointed. Why would we want any other God than the God of the Bible? He is the best thing for us, and he works all things together for the good of those who love him. So, if we live out the first commandment, then everything else falls into place. Ask yourself if you truly put God first. Use the Bible to learn from other successes and failures, and apply yourself to learn who God is. Amen.